Before we hear God's word this morning, let's pray that God would help us to behold Christ crucified for our sins in this text this morning that we're going to be reading. But let's pray first, shall we? Father, we come to your son crucified for our sin, buried, bearing the weight of our sin, bearing the weight of your wrath against our sin, bearing our punishment. Father, would you enable me to preach this as you would want it preached? Oh, Father, would you be, you are here, but but your, your active presence, your spirit, oh, God, the Holy Spirit, sir, would you come and open our ears, open our hearts, open my mouth. Father, may we behold Christ crucified for our sins and believe and marvel. May it take our breath away. May it literally take our breath away as we look at Christ crucified for our sin, our horrible sin. May it take our breath away a second time as we look at Christ and see that we are now made righteous. And may we, when we regain our breath, may we use that first breath to worship you. Oh God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to John 19. John 19. John 19 describes Christ's crucifixion for our sins. The death of Christ on the cross for our sins is the main point of the four Gospels, and it's the main point of all of history, and it should be the main point of our daily lives. My friends, this morning, God God invites you to take a fresh look at Christ. Christ crucified on the cross for your sins. God wants you this morning, dear friends, to behold Christ crucified for your sins and believe. He wants you to behold Christ crucified for your sins and believe. You need to take a fresh look at Christ crucified for your sins and believe that God accepts you based on that sacrifice and that sacrifice alone. There is nothing more important than this truth. It lies at the center of Christianity. And it should lie at the center of our beings, our life, our understanding, our thinking as Christians. You know, we often get away from the center, don't we? You you know that you've gotten off center, When you find yourself striving with God and with man, you lack peace in your soul because Christ crucified is not at the center of your life. You've somehow allowed other things to become central to you. You've allowed other things to define you. You've allowed other things to consume you. Perhaps your work, perhaps your friends, perhaps your ministry, perhaps your money, perhaps your ambitions, your dreams. Something or someone other than Christ defines you, controls you, and lies at the center of who you are being, who you are. And you've drifted from a very important truth. That truth is captured in Galatians 2.20. You should have it in your notes. And here's what Galatians 2.20 says. Paul, the apostle writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ 
who lives in me and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That last sentence there, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God wants you this morning to behold Christ crucified for your sins and believe that your life is found in Christ, not in self. Whether it's self-atonement, self-righteousness of the religious sort, or self-pleasure, self-will of the worldly sort, perhaps self-aggrandizement, self-ambition. No, your life lies in Christ crucified. That's why Christ died for you. To displace self, sinful self, and to replace that with Christ crucified. So, let's behold Christ crucified for our sins. And believe that Christ alone is your life. Christ who was crucified for our sins. That's the first point here. Behold Christ crucified. Look at John 19 verses 1 to 5. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Verse 4. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Behold the man. Jesus, the perfect man. Pilate finds no guilt in him. You see that? Pilate says, verse 4, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. He finds no guilt in Christ because Christ, Christ is guiltless. He's perfect. He's blameless. And yet there he stands. How do you explain this? The guiltless, blameless one stands beaten beyond recognition. I want you to see that. Verse 5, so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. They had beaten him. They had flogged him. Many men would have died with the flogging that Jesus received. He's bloodied. Why is the perfect one bloodied, beaten? Well, here's why. Because his kingdom is not of this world. And he is on his way to his coronation as king. Standing before fallen, blameful, sinful men. Crying out for his death. He's on his way to his kingdom. He's on his way to his coronation. And God says, behold Christ on his way to the cross for you and for me. Look at verse 6. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Notice for the second time, I find no guilt in him. Verse 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. Oh, friends, the crowd shouts the very will of God. Crucify him. Good verse 8. 
when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Pilate, unnerved by the accusation that Jesus is the Son of God, questions Jesus, but Jesus remains silent before the accusations. Friends, Jesus' silence here is the indication that we're beginning to see revealed for us the fulfillment of the Old Testament picture of the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah, of Isaiah 53.7. Isaiah 53.7 says the following. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53, 7 describes the servant of the Lord who suffers for God's people and gives his life for them. This is the suffering servant who no one could have imagined in Jesus' time. This is the suffering servant that no one understood Jesus to be, including Peter, if you remember, just the night before, he's cutting off a guy's ear to prevent Jesus from going to the very place that God the Father was sending him, namely the cross. No one understood it. This is the suffering servant. This is the one the Father has called to suffer for his people. And what is he described as in Isaiah 53, 7? Look at it carefully. What is he? Like a lamb, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So, going back to Pilate, being exasperated by Jesus' silence, he shouts to Jesus, I control your fate. And Jesus gently reminds him, No, you don't. God, my Father, controls my fate. Pilate then sits on a judgment seat. This this word for judgment seat in the Greek is called bima. It's a bima seat. It's the seat of judgment for any ruler. 
Don't you find it interesting that Pilate sits on the judgment seat, passing judgment on the one who one day will sit on his judgment seat in the heavens and pass judgment on Pilate and on you and on me? Are you ready for that day? Is your life hidden in Christ? Is your life Christ crucified? Do you now live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you? Well, the Jews, as we see here, totally rejected Christ as their king. They shout, crucify him. And we have to. We must hear our voices in the crowd, friends. For we reject Jesus as our king, preferring to live for ourselves every time we sin. Friends, we reject Christ as our king every time we choose to do our own thing, our own way, when we choose to disobey and not believe God. We shout. Listen, I hear myself shouting with those Jews when they shouted, we have no king but Caesar. Oh, every time that I sin, friend, I hear myself shouting, we have no king but Al. I have no king but the money I love or the friends that I crave their approval of. I have no king but me, God, crucify you. Last week, Corey served us so well, quoting from his message. We often deny and crucify Christ in our hearts when we don't get what we want. We cry Barabbas. Friends, Luther tells us this. We all carry in our pockets his very nails. This is why we need to behold Christ crucified for our sins and believe that God forgives our rebellious ways and believe that when we find ourselves shouting, crucify him, and there is no king but me, we can look to Christ who died for our sins, rose from the dead, and gives us life. Look at verse 16. So he delivered him, he being Pilate, him being Christ. So he delivered him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus in between them. Verse 19, Pilate also wrote on on an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Though Pilate put up the sign declaring Jesus as the king of the Jews to provoke them, not because he believed it, nonetheless, It was true. I'll tell you something. Though your life does not put up the sign that Jesus Christ is king out of authentic faith, maybe for some of you, nonetheless he is. And better that you declare it now and believe it now than that you play the fool and declare it unwittingly later. One way or another, you will declare Jesus is Lord and King, either willingly or unwillingly. That is the clear teaching of Scripture in Philippians 2. 8 through 10. Philippians 2, 8 through 10. 
thinking on what Jesus was doing here in John 19, Paul says the following, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, friend, behold Christ crucified and believe that he is Lord and Savior of your life. Verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Verse 25, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, and to fulfill the scriptures, said, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But, verse 33, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with the spear, and at once there came out blood and water, a sure sign of death, by the way. He who saw it has borne witness. This is now John the Evangelist interrupting the narrative. He who, has, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. and He knows that he's telling the truth. Why? That you also may believe. Verse 36, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Now we're getting to the meat of the Old Testament prophecies that Christ is fulfilling in his crucifixion. Did you know that only John mentions these texts? Why? Because John is interested, God is interested through John to reveal Christ crucified, the Lamb of God, the Old Testament suffering servant for you, for me, to take away our sins. Take a moment now to reflect with me, to behold this Lamb of God as we walk through the text in John 19 that fulfill the prophecies in the Old Testament. For example, look at John 19.24 again. So they said to one another, these are the guards at the foot of the cross, let us not tear it, his tunic, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. 
This was said, folks, to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. That fulfills Psalm 22. By the way, Psalm 22 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Psalm 22. Psalm 22.18 says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is speaking of the suffering servant. Look at John 19.28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill scripture, I thirst. This fulfills numerous scriptures, but I think the most relevant one is Psalm 69, verse 21, which says the following, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Look at, look at John 19, verses 33, and then verse 36. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And that scripture, friends, that scripture that they mention is carefully chronicled because in Psalm 22:17 and Exodus, especially Exodus 12:46, that scripture is going to tie Jesus to the sacrificial Passover lamb. Look at Psalm 22:17. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. And look at Exodus 12, 46. It shall, it shall be eaten. It, it being the Passover lamb, by the way, that had been eaten the night before, because this is the Passover. The Passover lamb, it shall be eaten, Exodus 12, 46, in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not, what? Break any of its bones. Oh, friends, this Exodus 12 passage it speaks of the Passover lamb sacrificed and eaten. Okay, most sacrifices were not eaten. You brought the sacrifice, it was sacrificed. This was a peace offering. This was a sacrifice that would be eaten. And in a sense, there's a picture of eating it with God, sitting with God and eating it. We'll get to that in a moment. But it was eaten. It was eaten during the Exodus. When Israel was coming out of Egypt and God wanted to protect Israel from his wrath. It was called the death angel at that time. And so what happened was the blood of this lamb was placed on the doorpost of the houses of the Israelites. It was placed there with a branch of hyssop. Jesus is offered sour wine on the branch of hyssop. Are you making the connection yet? Because in John, what John is wanting to do is bring the replacement, the replacement of Christ. No longer do we worship God in that temple, you worship God in me. I am now the light of the world, not these artificial lights. I am now the Lamb of God. No longer that Lamb that was sacrificed two days ago and eaten in your house, whose bones couldn't be broken. He is our Passover Lamb who replaces the Passover Lamb of the Exodus. He's our sacrifice. He takes away our sins. He takes the wrath of God that we might enter God's presence. Behold the Lamb of God, friends, who takes away your sin and saves you from wrath. Isn't that what John one twenty nine taught us? Do you remember? Believe it or not, folks, we've been in the Gospel of John for a year. A year ago, roughly. We preach this passage to you. John 1.29, John the Baptist, beholding Jesus coming, says the following. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this morning I say to you, and God says to you, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. Look at him. 
see him. Understand what he did for you so that you might worship him, so you might believe. So that you might believe. So that you might believe. Here's more evidence. Take a look at John 19, 34, and then 37. John 19, 34 gives us this description, a brutal description. These soldiers just walking around. Can you imagine? Here's a guy writhing in agony on the cross, and wham, he just breaks his leg. The guy suffocates to death. Wham, he breaks his leg, suffocates to death. Sadistic guard. Ah, this one's dead. Let me just get some fun. Bam! Sadistic guard fulfilling sovereign God's will. God is sovereign. No evil occurs unless he allows it, and he uses it for his glory. Verse 34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with the spear, and at once then came out blood and water. John, in verse 35, wants to tell you, hey, I saw this, he's dead. Blood and water, he's dead. And look at verse 37. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Oh, friend, this fulfills the Old Testament picture of the Lamb of God, the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah, the one they all missed. Are you missing it? Who was pierced for the transgressions of his people. Isaiah 53.5 in the New International Version says this. Isaiah 53.5 But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us what? Peace. Peace offering. We eat it with God the Father. Was upon him and by his wounds we were healed of the death blow of sin and of the death disease of sin as well psalm twenty-two sixteen b says they pierced my hands and feet and zechariah twelve ten, the old testament prophet zechariah prophesying at the end of the old testament period maybe around 500 bc said this and i will pour out on the house of david and the inhabitants of jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me on whom they have pierced they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps over the firstborn and 50 days later when peter's preaching at the day of pentecost in acts chapter 2 jesus that he's preaching about jesus crucified who you crucified and at the end of his sermon mostly a jewish crowd says What must we do to be saved? This passage is fulfilled. The people that pierced him are now weeping over him. The elect of God. Do you weep over him? Do you obey his command to behold Christ crucified for your sin? Does it move you? Does it take away your breath? So that when the very next breath, you're worshiping him. Friends, we must not only behold, but we must believe. Believe that Jesus took away your sins on the cross. I want to take you back to chapter 19 of John, verse 25. I want you to see something here. I want want you to see something that's going to help you believe. Verse 25 of John 19. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, verse 26 of John 19. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, now imagine this, friends. Jesus has been beaten to an inch of his life. His back is flayed. 
He is, he is in shame. He's probably naked. He can't breathe. So he gets down and he can't breathe. And he's got to lift himself up to breathe. He can barely talk because his mouth is parched. The sun is beating down upon him. It's maybe two or three in the afternoon. I don't know. It's been known that birds would come and actually pluck the eyes out of men that were crucified. Who knows what he's been suffering? And at that point, Jesus has the presence to see his mother and to see John. And basically what he says is, take care of her as your mother. He's now your son. John is the only one that records this because John wants us to know that this Lamb of God loves you personally. Do you see the compassion of God? The heart of God for you? That's what we see here. Look how he cares. And then look at verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Can you imagine? The presence of mine. The presence of mine. This word finished. Oh, it's a good word. It's a good word. Tetelestai is the Greek word. He uses it again in verse 30 when he says, it is finished and dies. I think Don Carson is the one that says that only John records this because perhaps only John was close enough to hear it. By the way, when they crucified someone back then, he wasn't way up high. He was maybe just a little bit higher. So when they had that hyssop, they didn't have to go too far. Maybe his feet would be right here. And John, it is finished. What does that mean? What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that Jesus had accomplished God's purpose in redemption. It meant that the mission for which Christ was sent to this earth was fulfilled. So in verse 28, Jesus, knowing that the end is coming, that it's finished now to Telestai, he says, I'm thirsty, because he knows they have to give him, they have to offer him the sour wine to fulfill Psalm 69, 21. And they know that they're going to offer it to him on a hyssop branch, which is going to be another pointer to the fact that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by the very crucifixion that he's enduring for us. And in verse 30, he knows that now, now with my death, the sins have been atoned for. Do you believe it? There's no more atonement. Stop your self-atonement. Stop it. Jesus finished it. Period. Now we believe it. And apply it. He completed the Father's mission. He took away our sins. He bore the wrath of God. He accomplished God's will. He became our peace offering, friends. You see, the peace offering, it was the only offering, it was the only kind of offering in which the worshiper ate some of the sacrificial animal. See, its primary function was to eat a meal. To eat a meal in the company with the sacrificer's family and the needy, with God as the host. God is the host. He sets the table for us. He says, come and eat of Christ and drink of Christ and join me at the table, no longer as my enemies, but as my friends, as my family, as my sons and daughters. See, this is what 1 Corinthians 10 Verses 16 to 18 teach us. 
And, and as you turn there, as the, the screen comes up, ushers, I'd like at this point quietly for you now to go back and begin to prepare to, re- to serve as communion, please. Thank you, ushers. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 to 18 says the following. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the, blood of Christ, in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Brothers and sisters, membership in God's family is about being welcomed into God's presence as God's people. And we depend on Christ on the cross, crucified for our sins. We believe. It's about beholding the Lamb who takes away our sins and believing that we are now adopted as His sons and His daughters. It means believing that we're invited to the table to eat with the one who was our enemy, but now has become our friend through His sacrifice of peace. Enemies have been made friends in Christ, and we eat a meal together. We are one body, partaking in one bread, Christ, participating in one altar. We are the people of God. We're a royal priesthood who eat from the table of the Lord, the very sacrifice that brings us peace with God who offered that sacrifice and makes us his own. So friends, please behold Christ crucified for your sins and believe that in him you are welcome in God's presence, not because of what you do, but because of what he has done. And depend on him. If you do not know this peace, friend, I would just say this. If you do not know this peace, this meal is not for you. But it can be. Ushers, you can walk forward. It can be. It can be for you if you would humble yourself and bow your knee. You're going to do it one day anyways and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. Now, I realize it's he, he's the one that's going to call you. He'll give you the grace for it. But I'm going to, I'm going to allow a little space for you to, to do that business with God. Behold Christ crucified for your sins and believe that in him you have peace with God and life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would work in hearts right now, hearts that would be distant from you and think that it is their performance that depends, that determines their relationship with you. Those believers that are stuck in self-righteousness and pride, those believers that are stuck in depression and pride, both of them are self-sins, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency. Father, liberate them right now. May they behold you, Christ crucified for their sins, risen from the dead, and believe. For the person here, Father, that doesn't know you, I pray that by your grace and your mercy, you would reach out to them and offer them a piece of bread, the body of Christ, and the cup, the blood of Christ, and that they would, they would accept it and have this meal with you and receive the peace offering. And if that's you, friend, with every head bowed, just pray to the Lord. Look, he's sovereign in this. It's not about anybody around you. It's about you and God right now. And you make peace. You pray to him. And you receive the peace that only comes in Christ. Let's give you a moment to do that.
Father, thank you. Give us your grace now as we receive your offering. Thank you for these elements. This physical sign of the spiritual reality of Christ dying for our sins, raising from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, would you please begin to serve? Friends, while the ushers are serving us, I would like to read to you Revelation 5 in its entirety. I believe we're going to be showing it on the screens. If you could hit the lights, whoever's got the lights there so they could read it better. Revelation 5. Let me read it to you. Just listen as we receive communion together this morning. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within. And on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Oh, Oh, Father. We have no idea what the, the scene in heaven is like. We are caught up on this earth with such peripheral, superficial foolishness. Would you give us a picture of Christ crucified for our sins and may we believe May we believe and worship Him. Even as we receive these elements, Father, may we believe and worship Him. So,
We're just going to sing a song while the elements are still being passed. No rush. When everyone's served, I'll come back and we'll receive. But let's just sing this. Stay seated. We'll just sing this song together.